Welcome, you're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod, or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle, spooky season's over. Halloween is in the rearview mirror. Daylight savings has happened. <laughs> and we got some new stuff to talk about. We do. We hope that everybody had a really safe and, and wonderful Halloween. We hope you celebrated with uh, learning that the uh, who the tr- true best Disney Halloween movie was. Uh, so we're moving into a new month. This is the month of thanks as told to us by America. And so, of course, in traditional fashion, we're going to be talking about best Disney robots, Chris. It's the the theme of Thanksgiving, of course, is all about robots. So we had to start off this month with it. Uh, and to help us kind of navigate these waters that we've, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't know a whole lot about Disney robots. I learned a lot doing this research. To help us, we brought this, uh, this email up last time and it was uh, a friend of the show dana reached out saying she wanted to get in on the tiebreak action and so quick turnaround we got her on the show dana welcome to mouse madness hello thank you thank you for having me i'm excited to talk disney robots yeah so are we so uh why don't you give us a little background like what what is your history with disney did you always grow up a fan did you grow up a fan of the parks uh lay it on us yeah, sure. So I grew up in South Florida, so like a two and a half hour drive um, from the parks. So we actually had annual passes growing up and would go pretty much any um, school, vac- like three day weekend, school vacation, anything like we definitely went to the parks all the time. Um, and then not only like really liked the movies, but I think I just also really liked fairy tales. So the natural inclination of the movies really stuck with me. Um, nice. My mom is going to listen to this, so if I'm wrong, she'll correct me. But I'm pretty sure uh, Aladdin was the first movie I saw in theaters. Okay, nice. So I've just always loved Disney. Oh, also, actually, this is cool. Um, I have the same birthday as Walt Disney. There you go. Wow. It's like it's like we have Walt himself on the show with us. <laughs> breaking yeah, breaking sure. down these robots. <laughs> Hopefully less racist. <laughs> yes, let's hope. let's hope so great so dana reached out with some feedback last time we got her on the potty she's gonna help tie break and uh, chris i hear that uh we have a little other feedback that reached your neck of the woods yeah i got some face-to-face feedback this week uh after our best disney halloween movie bracket okay so it's kind of become a a fall tradition almost to come down to west virginia to visit my girlfriend julia's mom and uh, she listens to the show so we walk in to the front door and we go, hey, how's it going? How you doing? She said, good. We're watching our favorite Halloween movie, Halloween Town 2. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, 
It's a great movie. Shut so up. So I was like, oh no, oh no. And, and to give you some context, Julia grew up on Sword in the Stone. She's like, this is a great movie. Got to watch it. Uh, it's beloved by me and my family. So uh, I've kind of come to learn that like maybe she didn't grow up with the most traditional of Disney movies. So Halloween Town 2 being like a classic in this house wasn't that much of a surprise to me. So I was like, oh, oh, sorry. I, uh, I, you know, I didn't like it. I didn't like that one very much. Uh, and she was messing with me. She had it on on the TV. We walked in and she she went Just, so far as to be playing oh. the movie in the living room. Oh, the ultimate troll job. It wasn't until halfway through dinner she finally was like, we were we were just joking. We, oh, we weren't. We don't love Halloween Town. Oh man! And I was like, "Oh my goodness." Well, I guess the Halloween two fans are out there, so yeah, it's not that crazy. Oh, I honestly, I because I talked about this with my friend because she likes that movie too. We think we could pick up on the chemistry between um the two, like the main witch and the bad guy. We think that's why we liked it so much because we could pick up on the chemistry. Which uh, now that they're married, it like that's our guess. Okay. Well, yeah, I feel that. I feel that. There, there definitely was a natural <laughs> chemistry between them. And apparently, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, that's some. Uh, that's great. Like fake feedback. I love that. Well, she did also say that Hocus Pocus is indeed number one, and so I was like, "There it is. There's the real one right there." Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's how she wanted to lead into it by trolling you and then let you know what it's really about. <laughs> and then she stuck the knife just a little bit deeper when she said Thackeray Binks was also the best cat. And I was like, all right, I, we're not having this conversation anymore. We got to circle back out. Let me re-enter the house and we can start over, <laughs> start this interaction over. Uh, Chris, well, after that interaction, I'm sure you needed a little bit of spoonful of sugar to really wash down that troll. What are you drinking this week? Well, I'm a Southern California kid and kind of a new East Coaster. And it's really fun for me to kind of like drive around the Northeast uh, and the East Coast and kind of like learn the geography. And I'm learning which states are actually close to each other. Like I didn't realize that Maryland borders West Virginia. So like we were driving from the city and we spent two hours driving through Maryland. I'm in West Virginia and you know, we're sports guys. I also love seeing like which kind of gray area parts of the country have what pro sports fandoms attached to them. So yeah. like there's mm -hmm. tons of Steelers mm -hmm. fans in West Virginia, but there's also a ton of Baltimore Ravens fans. So like Baltimore right. DC have a tie to West Virginia. So I found a Baltimore based brewing company called Duclaw. And <laughs> this beer is called unicorn farts. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is a glittered sour ale. Oh. And I was like, there's no way there's actually glitter in this beer. Oh, yes, there is. There's definitely. And sure. Yep. There is <laughs> glitter. Oh. It's rising with the bubbles. And uh, I'm drinking this out of an Epcot little beer oh, glass too. And uh, I'm going to give it a taste right, nice. right now because apparently it's also brewed in fruity cereal milk. God. Sounds so bad. <laughs> okay, that that tastes like cider. That doesn't even taste like beer. I don't hate it, but it doesn't taste like beer. <laughs> All right, Kyle, what do you got? All right, I made a little mixed drink. I 
this was a super last minute one because I, I had planned to actually do something a little bit more extravagant, maybe not so tiki like the other ones, but get back to what I was doing early on in the life of this podcast where I was looking up like recipes from the Cove Bar at DCA or, you know, any any sort of mixed drinks uh, from the parks. And I don't think this is one, but I found it on Pinterest and it is called The Lost Boy. It is a similar one to I, I made the like Neverland tea a long time ago, which was just like a Long Island iced tea, but with Midori. This is a similar thing, but way less alcohol. It is uh, an ounce of Midori, an ounce of peach schnapps, a uh, ounce and a half of Malibu rum and two ounces of Sprite. Now, the instructions tell you to put all of that together and then shake it up in a shaker until cold. But you should never shake carbonated soda <laughs> in a shaker. No. That's like, that's no, you're just you asking for like a, a pipe bomb in your kitchen. So I looked at that and I said, this is what I'm not going to do. So I mixed everything else and then and poured in the Sprite, which I only had like carbonated lemonade. So whatever, same thing. And it's awful. Don't drink it. I'm not even like, it's just bad. And I have an entire spoonful of sugar mug of it. So I'm just going to have to, you know, suffer through the robots with this uh, Midori for part one. Dana, what is your spoonful of sugar? Yeah, so I had caught that you two seem into mixology. So I had actually Googled robot cocktails, and there is, in fact, a cocktail called the robot. Okay, <laughs> I'm interested. And um, it is Jack Daniels vodka and a splash of grenadine. But I don't really normally drink liquor that much. Mm -hmm. um, so I watered it down with seltzer. And okay. um, the mug I found, I don't remember the name of the park, but the one in downtown Disney where it's like animatronic dinosaurs, um, that restaurant. Uh, T-Rex. Uh, it's called T-Rex Grill or something like that. Oh, that would, that's probably what this says. Okay, it's really faded. I couldn't read the label. <laughs> I couldn't read the label because it's faded. But I remember when I turned 21, after I turned 21, like me and my friends like did the drink through Epcot. And so we like went there for dinner or something. And um, I got a mug. So I found it. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. How's how's the taste of the the like watered down mix i mean it still tastes like whiskey to me so i'm like oh okay this is a work night um <laughs> but i can at least drink it <laughs> whereas i probably couldn't have if it wasn't watered down <laughs> that's what matters all right folks well before we get into our best robots discussion we got to talk about our demographic who we surveyed to get these 16 robots onto this bracket and we went with something that was uh pretty on point I think uh, I think this demographic knew a thing or two about robots because it was droid purchasers at Galaxy's Edge at Walt Disney World. I mean, th these people have to know a thing or two about robots to have to buy one of those $100 robots they sell at that droid depot. They probably know more than me. <laughs> <laughs> probably know more than all of us. Uh, when I was, I think I talked about this on the trip report that I did for this trip, but I was at Disneyland when Galaxy's Edge opened I just didn't have a reservation for it. And everyone that exited that land had some sort of droid robot in, it, in their little cage as they walked out of it. So it's a popular item, which makes sense that uh, we, we found them and made it so easy to find this round of 16. Uh, so we got some, some 16 robots, but of course, if you missed the dance, 
Uh, Chris, the first one for me, 80s Robot from the Muppets. Now, Muppets isn't necessarily, that wasn't a, a Disney creation. It's one of those kind of inherited robots. We have a few of those on our bracket. Uh, but 80s Robot, you know, drives the Muppets during montages, during the Muppet movies, kind of is the chauffeur. Uh, gets them place to place. Real reliable robot. So that's the first one for me. And the second one for me, Chris, is Push the Trash Can. Legend. Push. Legend. Legend. Push the Trash Can was part of Disney's uh, living character initiative when they would try and create these like robotic things to go around the parks and interact with guests when they're kind of really just like these remote controlled uh, robots or, you know, characters and, and the folks would be speaking through the characters, but it would feel like a robot's just talking to you because there's no one in the actual character, but they'd be up in the roof or like part of the crowd standing back and whispering into a microphone. Uh, Push was literally just a trash can that like wandered around Tomorrowland, just wandered, just wandered around and would talk to kids and ask them how their day was. And people got a really big kick out of Push and they were really hoping that this sort of thing would continue. And it was always kind of seen as like, this is what Disney wants to do with Galaxy's Edge. They want to take this kind of living character thing and transfer it into Galaxies. Because when they announced Star Wars Land, they uh, said that characters are going to be roaming around and you can interact with them. And they're going to remember you because you're all tied to like this data chip. And none of that happened, at least not yet. And it probably won't now. Uh, So Push is a legend. He's not around anymore, RIP, but uh, we love him. Chris, what are a couple missed the dance for you? Well, my first one is another Tomorrowland robot, and that's Tom Morrow. I don't really remember a whole lot about like <laughs> what he does, but he's kind of a kooky yeah. professor guy, yeah. if I remember correctly. But um, he was definitely like prominent in that attraction as part of the experience. Um, and also Otto from WALL-E and... Spoiler, there are tons of Wally robots on this bracket. Uh, and Otto is unfortunately not in like the top four Wally robots in that movie. But I'm a film guy. Love the tribute to Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey with his big glowing yep. red eye. Dana, what do you got for Miss the Dance? Yeah. So I actually had also thought of the talking trash can and auto, but the one that mm-hmm. I was so surprised it didn't make the list. I had to like Google to make sure it was actually a robot and I wasn't misremembering was um, the evil emperor Zerg from Toy Story. Okay. Okay. You <laughs> bring up a great point because we were also surprised that Zerg didn't make it. And uh, Chris did a little research. According to the Disney fandom wiki, Zerg, is a tiny alien inside of a robotic body being controlled. This is apparently apparently according to <laughs> like concept art, but if you choose to believe Zerg that way, that's your right as a viewer to the <laughs> Toy Story. <laughs> if this is your understanding of the Toy Story cinematic universe, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I literally was like, I don't like how did like a ride that's three minutes long with a robot make it and Zerg didn't? I was like, what? <laughs> um, so yeah, I had that one. And then I also had Weebo from Flubber, like the little yellow, like thing that's always like zooming around yes. Robin Williams' head. Wow, Flubber. I think Flubber is a very underrated Robin Williams film. <laughs> what a great, what a great Miss the Dance. 
we have yet we have yet to really dive into live action disney uh besides the pirates uh bracket but when we do i'm excited to talk a little bit about flubber <laughs> there are, there are honestly a few things that we have not talked about yet and we're going to get to some of them on this bracket so let's go ahead and dive into our 16 our top 16 best disney robots let's break it down let's cue that dramatic music and away we go. Coming in at number one. Wally. <laughs> that good? <laughs> you did your best. And at the number two seed, he's the trash can with wheels. It's R2-D2. Rolling into the number three spot from the new Star Wars trilogy, BB-8. Will we be satisfied with this seating? Coming in at number four, it's Baymax from Big Hero 6. Another stoned character from the Avengers and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Vision. The embodiment that the internet is evil. Coming in at number six, it's Ultron from the Avengers. Just don't call him a therapist. Coming in at number seven from Treasure Planet, Ben. The most anxious robot in all of the galaxy. Coming in at number eight, it's C-3PO from Star Wars. Flying into the number nine spot from Wally. Terrible. He'll be there for you, because Cassian said he had to. Coming in at the number 10 seed, it's K2SO from Rogue One. No bicycle, no problem. Riding into the number 11 spot from Meet the Robinsons, Carl. The only robot with access to just one door on the spaceship. Coming in at number 12, it's Bernie from Wally. Will this little guy clean up the bracket? From Wally. Mo. First time on the show, first time pilot. Coming in at number 14, it's R3X or Rex from Star Tours. Let's hope he doesn't self-destruct. Coming in at number 15 from The Mandalorian, IG-11. Always there to drop a beat. Coming in at number 16, it's Major Domo from Captain EO. Chris, there are a lot of robots on here from Star Wars. There's a lot of robots on here from WALL-E. There's a couple of parks uh, appearances here it's all of the things that you know we we talked about it on the star star wars episodes kyle's not very familiar with so so i'm back in the land of of you know unfamiliarity well i'm gonna need you guys to lead the way on avengers for me dana <laughs> when you look at this field of 16 here who stands out to you who's looking good who's maybe unfairly seated a little too high too low I mean, I feel like the second half is just lucky they made the dance. Um, <laughs> sure, sure. I, I mean, you know, gotta love Wally. So, rooting for all four of them. Great. All right. Well, uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and start off this round of 16 with the first matchup. It is Wally versus Major Domo. Uh, Chris. Let's talk a little bit about Major Domo. Please. Let's talk about Captain EO. Let's talk about Major Domo. All right. So Major Domo comes from this show that we're at the Disney parks called Captain EO. And it was a show starring Michael Jackson. Really during his like thriller height too. Like this was like prime time Michael. It was like late 80s. I don't know. Great question because I had never seen the show until... Until we had to do this bracket. 1986. Oh, nailed it. Good call. Good call. So, um, 
you, this was taking place when Disney was starting to get into like the 4D experience game. Uh, so you think about Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. You think of it, It's Tough to Be a Bug. You think of like Muppet Vision. Um, all of these shows that are at these parks that involve not only 3D visuals, but like physical experiences of your seat shaking or something popping up and hitting the back of your leg. Uh, this was like the first venture into that really during that like space hype, right? <laughs> like this is, this really feels like very Star Wars influenced from the flight through the kind of like spaceship uh, that looked like they were flying through the Death Star uh, to when they encounter all of these kind of alien creatures. But like I said, I had never seen this show, so I watched it on YouTube. Everyone, you should go watch on YouTube. It's a good 20 minutes spent. Uh, but we're here to talk about Major Domo, and Major Domo was Captain EO, Michael Jackson's like right-hand guy. This is this is the robot that was kind of like the first mate, it felt like. But Major Domo had a few tricks up his sleeve. Uh, he could magically transform into an entire rock and roll set. Obviously. I mean, obvious. It's a good skill. It, when you're flying with Michael Jackson, it's a very good skill. You never know when song's going to break out, which it did multiple times <laughs> during this show. So uh, they land on this planet and they meet the Supreme Leader who they're trying to defeat because the Supreme Leader has control over folks in the galaxy or something. And uh, all of her like minions are really just like... <laughs> I don't know, normal space people just like captured by her. And so they can only be freed by the power of Michael Jackson's music. I was going to say, like also in dancing, it seemed really important that they all broke out into synchronized dance. <laughs> yes, very important. But they could not have danced without Major Domo completely breaking down. At one point, I thought he was like doing like the robot dance. And that was like his contribution to this entire like dance scene. But I was so mistaken. My guy broke down into a full-on synthesizer. One part of him did. The rest of him flew off into like this space air guitar. And then the body of him formed a complete drum set. And so all of the crew of Captain EO's ship performed songs while Captain EO danced around. And the power of him dancing was able to release... The minions from the supreme leader's role that's literally major domo he's a robot that transforms into a full band set why would you want more <laughs> i mean if i had to be stuck in space at least i had some entertainment in the form of my first mate who can just transform into musical instruments and thank goodness the crew was musically trained you have to be that must have been a qualification to hop on that ship so major domo's up against wally and that's unfortunate because Wally is great. We praised Wally during the Pixar bracket. Uh, he's just a very endearing character. Robot qualities through and through. Uh, and it's also interesting. We, we'll talk about it a little bit more and maybe Chris, you'll be bringing it up. But Wally's like the, the idea that Wally has some sort of AI attached to him where he can start to learn and embody maybe human traits or at least just he, he was set to learn, but since he was all alone, he learned humanness and what it was to be human and took up hobbies and collected and, and watched movies. And so there was this 
sense that there was more to Wally than just being a robot. And then you see when he's reset at the end uh, during another part that we talked about, the saddest uh, Pixar moment, you see that the AI was erased. And so it's that's an interesting thing to talk about throughout these robots because there's a lot of kind of AI-ness as we go along. But here, uh, Wally's not losing to Major Domo. I respect that Major Domo made it, but I'm moving Wally on in this bracket. Well, I guess I'll start by talking about the space hype. Just a few notable names that worked on this movie, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, who y'all should know from The Godfather, Apocalypse Now, uh, incredible filmmaker. It was written by George Lucas and executive produced by George Lucas, and the effects were done by Lucas's company, Industrial Light and Magic. So it is no surprise that there's kind of that Star Wars vibe and look all over this movie. Kyle and Dana, is this a, an attraction or, or a movie experience that you enjoy? Do you like this? I, like a lot of people have nostalgia for this whole thing. I could care less about it. I've never seen it before this, so I can't say I had nostalgia, but I actually do have a huge fondness for the late 80s slash early 90s, like, puppetry work of Jim Henson. So it vibed on that so hard that I was like, oh, this is great. Um, Also, I love Angelica Houston. I want to be her when I grow up. So, like, um, when she ended up being the, like, evil lady transforming to her, I was like, I love everything about this. (laughs) Yeah, I... Never saw the show, but maybe you remember this, Chris. Disneyland like brought it back when Michael Jackson died, and they did yeah. like a, a rerun of it. Um, and I still didn't see it, <laughs> so no, I don't have I don't have a nostalgia for it. I don't. I probably would have passed by it as I did in two thousand eight or whatever. So it's it's a fun watch though. That's for sure. Well, we've got a great segue name because the music in Captain EO was done by James Horner, who we just talked about last couple episodes, who did the music on Something Wicked This Way Comes. That's right. Major Domo is a real word, by the way. It's Latin, and it's a word that you use to assign to your head servant or your head of your household. Major meaning like greatest, domo, like domestic, same root. So Cogsworth from Beauty and the Beast is a major domo, and I guess you could call Ramsley the butler from the Haunted Mansion a uh, major domo. He's kind of in charge of, of the maids and the waitstaff and all that stuff. So it's a little bit confusing. Like the pun is confusing to me because major domo and Captain EO is not exactly like a servant. He's like you said, kind of the first mate guy. So I, I don't know what they were going for there. Maybe, maybe someone thought it was funny, but yeah, man, major Domo has range. Get your mans who can do both. <laughs> he is an intergalactic traveler and a one man <laughs> rock and roll show. Oh uh, yes, he is. Um, when he did the thing where he shoots his leg off to like turn into the guitar, I thought that was an attack. I thought he was doing it to like attack someone. It was going to be like a, a skewer or like a spear because that, that would be an effective weapon. Like, let's it would be have real. been, it would that have been, would have impaled someone, but you know, power of rock and roll is far greater than any violence, which, you know, that's the whole point of captain EO. So it is it's appropriate. It is. But you are absolutely right. Wally is a national treasure. And Major Domo's interesting. Captain Neo's certainly interesting. But 
Wally is is pure. He is the light of my life. So he is advancing to the next round. Dana, uh, any any last thoughts on Major Domo? Congrats for making it onto this list to begin with. <laughs> Congrats, Domo. All right, well, let's go ahead and move on to the next matchup. It's the number eight seed, C-3PO versus number nine, Eve. We've got another Wally robot. Let's start with C-3PO. So C-3PO is a protocol droid. I think that's something that's important that we need to talk about when we talk about these robots is like, what were they programmed to do? That was one of my biggest things. Yeah, my biggest thing was like, if I couldn't tell what this robot was for, I was like, this is a bad robot. Right, because that's why we make robots is to perform tasks that we can't or don't want to do. So C-3PO's a protocol droid, which means he is probably like in the room during meetings, he's translating, he knows a ton of languages, and maybe he's like serving orders or appetizers or something. Uh, C-3PO doesn't do that like ever throughout any of the Star Wars movies. Uh, but I think like that's the point. Uh, and he, he serves that role as kind of like the scaredy cat uh, in over his head, just very worried all the time uh, because he's not an adventurous guy. He's a protocol droid. He's not supposed to be here. So I think it works. But it gets really confusing in Star Wars Episode One when Anakin's like, I'm building him to help mom. It's like, okay, that's like, that's a different thing. Uh, yeah. Like a, a vacuum cleaner or <laughs> the butler. I don't, I don't know. Also, I don't know if this is ever explained because I'm not really a Star Wars person. What? But like, does C-3PO yeah. mean anything? Like, why is that his name? Does that like mean anything towards his classification? I do not know. Maybe some of our more Star Wars savvy fans can help us out on that one, but that is that's just too deep in Star Wars mythology for me. Um C3PO gets like a like a very big moment in Rise of Skywalker. His knowledge of the Sith language is key to them like solving this uh, mystery. And we go to our boy, Babu Frick. Oh, introducing the greatest character in all of the galaxy, <laughs> Babu Frick. And there's this very strange moment when C-3PO like agrees to get his memory wiped. And they're like, what are you doing, 3PO? And he's like, I'm getting one last look at my friends. <laughs> C-3PO did so much for Star Wars but that makes no sense at all. Like it was just them kind of like milking this emotional moment where you have a character that's been in most of the movies dying essentially. But let's compare it to a non-Disney android, Professor Data from Star Trek The Next Generation. Like they did that android human-like robot perfectly because no one cared about him as a life form and he did not understand social cues, friendship, love, comedy at all and i was okay because he's a droid so like c-3po like developing friendship i don't know i don't really buy it yeah and we'll see that later on tons of times c-3po is going up against eve eve stands for extraterrestrial vegetation evaluator which she does perfectly and also again her name means purpose as it should. Exactly. So we see Eve like crash land on Earth and she's basically completely ignoring Wally. Wally, the only functioning thing of any kind on this planet besides what, a cricket? A cockroach? 
cockroach. Yeah, something like yeah that. cockroach. So he, he's like, "What's going on?" He's following Eve around, and she does not want to have anything to do with him. It gets to the point where she like pulls out uh, like one of her little laser blasters at him. Like she is so committed to her directive, it's it's really admirable. But kind of like Wally, she ends up uh, going off the rails a little bit, kind of like out kicking her robot coverage, so to speak, when <laughs> it goes from like extracting vegetation which she does to like let's save a robot i've developed a friendship with and and they've like fallen in love and like i know it's a pixar movie no it's supposed to be cute and it is cute but i just don't know i don't know if that's like very robot so we might have some problems with both of these robots moving forward i think for this matchup I'm going to give it to C-3PO just for what he represents, what he stands for, and just everything he's done for the Star Wars universe. I'm going with C-3PO. I mean, at the same time in this matchup of like personality robots, because they both do, right? We we get that at the end of the entire saga with, with 3PO. We get it towards the end of Wally, or as Wally progresses. Also, both fulfill what they were set to do, right? Like, Eve was set to recover vegetation to let the humans know and on the axiom that they can come back to Earth and re-inhabit the Earth. And there was a plant. She found it. She brought it back. They were able to get it to where it needed to go as she was supposed to. And they and the job was done. So, like, they both fulfilled their roles in unconventional robot ways so it's it's hard to say that because like 3po throughout like did a lot of translating and a lot of like odds giving and a lot of you know getting blown up i mean eve is doing on a very similar trajectory just with less human interaction i think that when it comes down to the two of them and this happened in the Star Wars, and I'm bringing it back. 3PO is so annoying, Chris. <laughs> oh, he is. You're right. You're 100% He's right. He's so annoying. And, like, when I'm thinking of what a best robot is, that robot that serves the purpose shouldn't drive me crazy as they're serving that purpose. Otherwise, they're no longer the good, the best robot that it can be. If, you're, if your Roomba is making too much noise you're probably going to get a new Roomba or at least try and alter this Roomba so that it makes less noise because it's going to be annoying. That's 3PO for me. Why did they, why did, I don't know. He's, he sucks. I'm moving Eve on. Dana, you're breaking a tie here. Oh, so early. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely agree that three, that he's annoying. Um, also, so I, I have this problem generally with the Star Wars robots. I think they all feel too multifunctional to me. We we talked about it in the in the Star Wars R2. He just does it. What is it? I don't know, but he just does it. So I have a problem with that because I, I was like, what, what is his original purpose? He can do anything. This is too, that was a little too much. Um, but I was trying to buy the idea of like, if you're around long enough, the computer would like take in new information and reprogram to adjust and that's how they grow. And so they're evolved to more human-like based on the information they take in. Um, which is also the argument I'm going to use for Wally and I guess for Eve. Um, so I guess that's not a valid one. But I also, <laughs> I just don't like him at all. There's so many things. 
that's a very valid argument on this podcast <laughs> to, to not advance someone. I just hate him. Yeah, personal bias. We say it all the time. So I think that part gets me. Um, I think Eve's progression makes more sense and is better explained in a way I understand. Like, Wally is what challenges her, and that's how she's able to, like, grow so fast. Um, so, yeah, I just feel like... Oh, also, actually, this is a huge one that bothers me, too. Why would a robot be so anxious? Like, that is a... <laughs> That's a very human emotion. So like someone had to program him to be like, and you're prone to look worried. Like that, what? No. So definitely Eve. <laughs> when you're outside of your function, you are not going to like that. Send code. <laughs> yeah. So I think Eve makes a better robot. <laughs> All right. We got the first personal bias moving on. I love it. Let's move on to the next matchup here. It is number four, Baymax from Big Hero 6 versus number 13, Mo from Wally. Uh, I'll start with Mo. Mo is the little tiny box little robot with the scrubber brushes as his quote unquote like arms, hands. Uh, and he is in charge of disinfecting the axiom from contaminant. And he has a little like red siren light on his head. Like he he feels very like mall cop, just like busting anyone that has any sort of defect or, or contagion on it. And he's going to hunt you down. And he spends the entire movie of Wally just trying to clean Wally. It's like such a funny little side story as this like movie goes on. That you just constantly see Mo following Wally's like dirt tracks to clean because that's that's his that's what he was like programmed to do, and he stuck to it. It's also interesting that like these robots were like programmed to follow certain tracks on the Axiom, but they also have the opportunity to choose whether or not they do. So Mo is scrubbing along a track and then sees that Wally's tracks veer off from his guided path. And he has to make the decision to leave his guided path. So when Dana brought up like the learned behaviors of, and that's what I was trying to infer with Wally, like this AI notion of the technology has gone so far that these robots are programmed to learn kind of like a Roomba. Roomba kind of learns like, area paths and and where things are so it bumps into things less Roomba is my only reference for robots I don't know about you guys but I don't have a ton of robots in my life your Roomba sounds smarter than mine (laughs) well I don't know about it so this AI notion obviously lives within the robots in the Wally world Wally world so I might give it a pass in these early rounds. It's gonna, we're gonna have to really talk about it later on. So that's Mo. Mo ends up being able to clean Wally at the end. They introduce each other in a very like fun way, just them trying to say names. And it's very cute. I, I like Mo a lot. He's determined, uh, motivated, programmed, and wants to get the job done. And like at the end, does. Yeah. He also is really important. No, he also saved the plant. Yeah. Very important. Yeah, very important. It has a very important function. Uh, Across is Baymax from Big Hero 6. And Baymax was a, like, care robot, uh, uh, like a healthcare robot created by Hidashi Tamada, uh, Hero's older brother, our main character, who died because the, like, 
science lab blew up that was talk about like pixar twists we might have to like talk about pixar twists one of these days or just disney twists that one was shocking what were they what were they cooking in there hmm? it's not it's not every day that you see like a guard like guardians are often already dead when we arrive in disney movies but for it to happen in front of us besides like finding nemo was pretty shocking so anyways uh Hero inherits this healthcare doctor, and this healthcare doctor is going to activate any time that it senses distress and trying and fix whatever the human problem is. Uh, and it's this, it's like a, a a robot that's inflatable, so there's some sort of skeletal something in it, maybe. But it he's an inflatable robot, <laughs> and and you know, provides healthcare and, and can fix you up when you're hurt, which I think is a really interesting take. I like that it's, I like that he's inflatable. It's something that's inviting. Healthcare can often be scary. So this was a great way of making it less scary. Uh, and he turns into like this superhero and he becomes a badass. Uh, and it's mostly because Hero has this love for like the robot fighting that we hear at the that we see at the very beginning and it turns out that like baymax needs to actually like save the world so baymax is also controlled by like a central tri- chip this chip is programmed for baymax to do his function whether that's care or in the wrong hands destroy which we see in big hero 6 uh he when he's like the the fighter he he doesn't have anything like a lot of our other robots where R2-D2, for example, just has a plethora of tools at his disposal. Uh, Baymax has to wear a suit that gives him these powers or these tools. So at, at the very core, Baymax is just really like a uh, assessment robot. Here's what's wrong with you. Here's your prescribed treatment. Uh, go ahead and put some ice on it, as opposed to a lot of these other robots. And that's that's his job. I mean, I, I didn't get the sense that he was supposed to then, you know, cast you up or get, perform the x-ray on you or like, you know, he's just there to suggest what's the next steps. So he does his job. Also does his job as like a superhero. But at that point, it's hard. He has multiple personalities because he has multiple chips for multiple scenarios, you know? <laughs> like, what are, How are we supposed to really narrow that one down? But at least it makes sense. It makes sense because he's been programmed that way. So Correct. it's not out of the realms of possibilities that he could do anything. But he also has a lot of learning capabilities. And you see that with the way that he has to, like a Roomba, navigate a room. Right? So like he he has to understand <laughs> when he, he's going through doors, what ways to turn he learns there's a bit there's a bit of ai in him there's a little bit but a lot of his motives are controlled by a central chip so you have two robots up against each other that perform a function essentially do it right they they enact these these functions and now it's really just about like one who does who do i enjoy the most two who do i think was most effective at their job and three uh because of that who am i going to move on and Oh, it's really tough. Uh, but I think for the sake of it, uh, I'm going to move Baymax on. I think that his function is important. I, I think Mo's function is important as well. But we saw that there's an entire army of robots on this ship. And I'm sure there are many a Mo. Uh, there seems to only be one Baymax. And Baymax does his job very well. Even when he's evil, he does his job very well. 
uh, I'm I'm moving Baymax on. Honestly, y'all, this is this is a tough one. I mean, for me, this is the final two right here. These are two incredible robots who are programmed to do something very specific, and they set out to do that. Dana, you referenced the uh, saving of the plant, saving of Wally, saving of Eve, and that is like just bonus points for Mo. But the thing that is the best part about that is he doesn't even know what he's doing. All he knows that he's doing is he's trying to keep Wally clean. Right. And I, I talk a lot about character on this podcast and like movies having good characters and bad stories and stuff. I mean, this is a perfect example of how you can have a monumental moment in your movie, a major shift in the plot, and it's driven by a character doing something, not just to like advance the story, but because they're just doing what they do so i just i just i love that that's so conveniently put in there makes sense i mean obviously he's hilarious we don't need to talk about that anymore he's so funny when when i was probably in high school i was looking at colleges and i kicked around the idea of like becoming an animator one day i was like dude i want to be an animator computer animator and uh I started by just like drawing Pixar characters and Mo was like the second character I drew. Cause I just, I had like just, I had just seen Wally and he was like my favorite part of the movie. So I, I do love Mo. Mo, by the way, stands for microbe obliterator. I think we all need, we all need a Mo right now <laughs> for sure. It's so funny because you reference the red light that like pops up on his head and we get to see that pop up because he sees like Eve who has like, three percent foreign contaminant and then he like looks over at wally and it's like 100 percent foreign contaminant and he's like Bing! red light and he just starts going crazy he's like ah! get get him boys he's like how'd this happen not on my ship the stepping out of line thing is i don't really know how to feel about that it's I think part of what the movie is trying to say about like, you know, being stuck to a certain way of doing things and like, it's okay to step out of line if it means advancing in some way. I actually thought it came because his main function was to clean. So it was more important to go off the track and clean the dirt because there wasn't another robot than it was to stay and clean the same path over. Right. And you could see him having to like process that decision. It was like, what's my main function? Is it to stay in this lane or is it to like do what I'm really meant to do here? It's like he went through like a priority list and said, if this, then that. Baymax, man. Baymax, to me, is one of the most underrated characters in all of Disney. And one of my favorite Disney scenes of all time. Drunk boy Baymax. (laughs) (laughs) You're so When when he's got the low battery and he just is so sloppy. (laughs) So sloppy. He's like 1 a.m. Del Playa Isla Vista sloppy. The the majority of people walking down these streets look like Baymax at low battery. The, the best part is like he still tries to do it. He's like, I have scared you now. <laughs> and then he, they, they get home and he's just like falling on his face. Hero's trying to hide him from his aunt. And he like pops up the stairs like, wee. 
That's, yes. Oh, man. Oh, sorry. Love that. Love that scene. Um, he performs like a sacrifice in the end. He sacrifices himself to save Hero. Totally. Yeah. And there are several robots on this bracket that do some type of sacrifice. And again, there's so many of them where you're like, I mean, I love you, Wally, but like, is the sacrifice in your programming? Not really. Baymax, he has a full-on conversation about it. He's like, he's like, you are my patient. Like, your health is my priority. Like, are you satisfied with your care? So it makes sense that he sacrifices himself for this other character and to save the day at the end of the movie. <laughs> that scene is so, so touching, but it's also so funny because they're doing a shot reverse shot with Hero, who's like becoming emotional, and then they like cut back to Baymax, and it's just this like... <laughs> There's just <laughs> no expression at all. Dumb face, just like looking, staring blankly. And you're like, oh my God, he's so sad. Great scene, great movie, great character. Uh, like I said, this is these are two incredible Disney robots, but I have to give it to Baymax here. And uh, I'm going to advance him to the next round. So Dana, any anything left to say about this matchup? Yeah, so I agree. They're the best two. They're definitely the cutest two. And I actually like, because I had like, who I would generally pick. I literally wrote for the two of them. I could go either way. Yeah. Yeah. Like I did not want to have to pick. So I'm glad I didn't have to. I, I love the Wally world that we've created here, by the way. Yes. Same. Wally's cinematic universe. Okay. Let's go ahead and move on to our next matchup. It is the number five vision from the Marvel Cinematic Universe versus number 12, Bernie from Wally World. I guess we'll uh, start with Bernie. Bernie stands for Basic Utility Repair Nano Engineer. Bernie gets his own short film. He is featured in Wally. Makes a short, short cameo. Yes, a blip, a blip. Yeah, so I want to know, like, did they conceive the short like after the movie was already done they're like oh what if we did a short about like that one funny awkward moment robot or were they like doing it at the same time like okay we're gonna do a whole thing here i think they did at the same time if you look into when bernie was released or like what it was put on it was put on the bonus features of the wally digital release so i think that this was just a story that they found as they were making it like wait Let's learn more about this this robot that just got locked out of the ship and why he was out there in the first place. Because you don't really see any of the robots outside the ship except for even Wally and then this one. So it was. I think they just saw it as a prime storytelling opportunity. And boy, am I glad that they did. So what I actually think they did, because you can kind of see it, is I actually think when they were like um, character designing or like doing like a general outline before they started like designing anything was they thought of every single function of every single robot, regardless of how much screen time it got. And I think they literally was like, so we had to have a robot that does this. And we have to have a robot that does this. And I think they literally like thought it out that much. Cause you can even tell like in how well thought out all the characters are. So I literally think they're like, and then we're gonna have this one robot and his job is to replace light bulbs. And like, so he's gonna be out on the ship and they're gonna come by and he's gonna see them. And um, I think just from there, they, yeah, like just gave one of them its own short. The Wally world is deep. It is deep with robots. Like I was looking at the Bernie Wikipedia, like fan Disney fandom page, and these are all you know fan populated web pages, and there's like ten other Wally World robots on there that are listed by name. I'm like, where? How do you know that? 
like there are some Wally stands out there who are into it. Yeah, don't blame them. It's a really good movie. <laughs> oh, it is absolutely well, well deserved, well deserved. And and that's the thing that's funny about Bernie is there are so many of these slow, beautiful moments in Wally, and and Bernie is basically taking those and being like, well, you guys are being like, oh my god, this is so cute. Like Bernie's over here getting absolutely trolled by what's happening. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Ber- so Bernie's like primary function is as like a maintenance, a repair robot, and Bernie gets. I mean, Mo has a small task, keeping things clean. It's very specific, but in a way, Mo is responsible for life on this ship because there are foreign contaminants that potentially dangerous bacteria that could latch on to these robots and then infect the ship. Bernie has to fix this little tiny light bulb and there's like hundreds of them along the outside of the axiom. So you're like, is it really that like necessary? I mean, yeah, it's necessary, but he doesn't have like the weight of the whole operation on his shoulders, which I think is like really authentic robot because we make robots to do things that we don't want to do. Yeah, like a Roomba vacuuming. (laughs) We can vacuum. We have the power to vacuum. We have vacuum cleaners, but we just don't want to do it. It's the same thing with Bernie. It's someone could go out there and do a spacewalk and repair that little beacon, but we just don't want to. It'd just be easier if a robot did it. So that's really authentic to me. And Bernie is married to the game. Yes. This dude, <laughs> he keeps messing up. I don't know how realistic that is that he keeps like losing the beacon in really kind of like human type ways. Like he waves at Wally and like he lets it go. He gets startled by them like going into the one of the doors and the door like slamming. Would a robot get startled? Why is that robot like programmed to hear noise? I don't know. Uh, regardless, he he knows his directive and he goes in again, again and again and again and he gets new little beacons. It almost kills him at the end of that short. <laughs> yeah, almost does. He's married to the game. So on the other side of this matchup, you've got Vision, who is a hero in the Avengers and Marvel Cinematic Universe. Bear with me while I attempt to explain the Avengers to you, (laughs) and Vision in particular. Vision was created by Tony Stark and Dr. Bruce Banner. By the way, this is different from like the comic book version of Vision. This is the Cinematic Universe Vision. Uh, They created Ultron to help with human peacemaking. Ultron went bad, so they kind of like had this Jarvis computer program and merged him with the whole Ultron robot thing and used Thor's hammer and they got vision. Basically. Basically. That's how science works. It makes perfect sense to me. Uh, He's got a little infinity stone in his head. It's the mind stone. Apparently it's like the most important one. And people are going to hate our best Avengers bracket and so much. So, <laughs> so obviously you have the most important power source in the universe and you just put it on the guy's forehead for everyone to see. Obviously. Yeah. Show off that you got it. And you know, it's, it's not hard at all to just rip it out of there, which we see actually happen. I don't know. A couple of times. I digress. Vision is a robot. Technically he is very humanoid Super. he has he is essentially a human like if you if i didn't know he was a robot i i wouldn't know he was a robot he reacts to conversations like a human you can see human emotion in his face when he's processing information he has a weird conversation with ultron at the end of age of ultron about humans being like mm, like 
you want to control the chaos, but you know what? Like there's beauty in the failing and they love that or something weird like that. Uh, he has a, a weird connection to humans that, I don't know. It just doesn't seem super robot. Are we supposed to believe that the AI is just that good though? Like, isn't that like... That's, so that's what I was thinking. I was like, okay, am, am I like not educated enough in robots to know that it would be theoretically possible for a robot to understand like human relationships and stuff? Well, and also like Jarvis had been with Tony Stark for like ever. So as like Tony's personal assistant. And so you could kind of assume that through like Tony Stark is a psychopath. And so like through having to deal with Tony learned a lot, like Jarvis was making a lot of decisions for Tony, even when, you know, he was in like the Iron Man suit and was Tony's assistant. So you can kind of start to assume that like through the years of Tony having to deal with people through the years of Tony being Iron Man that Jarvis has learned because it's a sophisticated AI program uh, to then try and mock what humans would do, which is what you're kind of saying with the emotions thing. But yeah, it's, it's, tough to say because i am not a marvel expert in the slightest i'm extremely educated in marvel if you guys (laughs) (laughs) okay even if that is true he is very robotic in the way he has learned things his directive is to destroy ultron after they have a super boring conversation in a room about what (laughs) happens next then they destroy ultron Vision destroys Ultron. He he releases a light beam from his forehead and Ultron is destroyed. And then he's in like four other movies just kind of helping out the Avengers being a superhero and is dating Scarlet Witch, Wanda? Is that right? Yeah. Come on, man. Really? He also like compromises the whole situation in Civil War, has to run off with Scarlet Witch. Whole thing. This is all just, this is just too much for me. Not because Marvel is too much for me. I mean, it, Marvel is too much for me, but that doesn't have anything to do with this. Vision is just too all over the place, not specific enough to be the best Disney robot. Bernie is better here. I'm advancing him over Vision. I mean, I'm going to also advance Bernie. And it's only because when you throw best Disney robot, my mind doesn't go to Vision. And like... I get that it's that's a hard argument to play when we're talking about Marvel and even when we're talking about Star Wars. But even at this point, Star Wars has been so ingrained in the Disney fabric that uh, it feels a little bit more natural than Marvel. Marvel's the newest of the, the those kind of acquired entities. So it's still have some time to go before we really associate Marvel uh, we're barely getting them into the parks. We might not even get them fully in the parks now, right? And like even in the 80s, we had Star Tours. So that link was always established. And so I think in this matchup, like Bernie storyline, character, function is so Disney compared to Vision, who is kind of like, I guess, like a Bernie in the sense of like the MCU, like serves a function, does it, dies, it's done, like just in the very latter half of this kind of universe and, and saga. But it's it's all Bernie here for me. I'm advancing him over Vision. Dana, I don't know 
uh, your experience with Marvel and if you're just like, you guys are absolute morons, which we probably are. Uh, but what are your thoughts with Vision going down to Bernie here? Yeah, no, so actually I've seen the majority of the Marvel films, not all of them. Um, and I definitely struggle with the idea of Vision being a robot as well. Um, he's definitely super humanoid. And the way I was trying to like conceptualize it to myself was I kept thinking of um, the Cards Against Humanity card that's like teaching a robot to love. <laughs> like, right. I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's what Scarlet Witch does. And like, that's why he can do this because like, yeah, his AI and her telepathy and it, it worked, sure. And I was like, try. And I was like, nah, I just can't. It's gotta be Bernie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's tough when we get into some of these larger worlds especially the ones that we don't quite understand so uh send in your hate mail to mousemanispodcast at gmail.com let's hop over to the other side of the brackets number two r2d2 versus number 15 ig11 from mandalorian uh we got a star wars universe matchup here uh i talked about r2d2 in the star wars bracket if anyone dared to listen i talked a lot about how r2d2 is very he, he he's a robot that knows what the objective is without the objective being given to him if that makes sense so he's always determined to find luke or whoever he's tied to uh in any scenario he has c3po like being anxious and telling them to turn around in the desert and r2's like nah man i'm just gonna keep going like everything's fine he's spending like i said a lot of time in the desert he he can do just about anything, which is tough when you're talking about robots, because then why doesn't just everyone have an R2? And why is there like even an issue in the Star Wars? Like he does everything. Does it say how old he is? Oh, God, no, I don't. Oh, like I have no idea. Because I feel like part of I don't know, like I feel like part of the reason why Wally is so advanced is because he's like over 700 years old. But I was trying to wonder, like, is R2-D2 also, like, hundreds of years old and, like, just had the time to get to this point? You're, you asked some very valid questions about the Star Wars, Star Wars universe, and I have zero answers for you. Uh, I, I don't understand it. Where's Josh? <laughs> Josh, if you're listening, hit us up, please. Let us know how old R2-D2 is. Uh, yeah, so, sure, he probably is, right? He's probably been around for a very long time. I don't even know who built him. I probably should have researched that. But the the Star Wars like fandom wiki, which is called Wookiepedia for everyone, is very intimidating to read through. So I got scared and didn't do it. He gets everyone out of danger all the time, whether it's putting up defense shields in, in episode one in a very strategic way or flying over, <laughs> suddenly flying to avoid danger or have a flamethrower or picking locks or infiltrating uh like computer systems on a ship like r2 does it all which is that necessarily like what we think of as a good robot on this show i don't i don't know i'm interested to continue to think about it as i talk about ig11 who is in the mandalorian started out and always has been an assassin droid and this droid is told to kill the child aka our boy baby yoda and attempts to and gets yacked by uh our our mando friend so he's out episode one and then suddenly returns because he's brought back to life by the this is the way dude 
as you can tell, not good with names in the Star Wars universe. Couldn't even describe who this is the way is, but he says this is the way a lot. Rides these like big tadpoles with legs and revived IG-11 and reprogrammed them. So this is what's really interesting is when we're talking about function, we're talking about AI, we're talking about any of that stuff. Uh, IG-11 was reprogrammed to then protect the child. And we also talked about sacrifices that these robots made. And now we can talk about the sacrifice because IG-11 realizes that the, at the end of this big like lava river that they're going on in the first season of Mandalorian, at the mouth of the tunnel are a bunch of stormtroopers that are ready to capture the child and give to uh, Gus from Breaking Bad. And they're rolling down the river and IG-11 hops into that lava river, walks out there and just blows himself up because he knows if he does that, he's going to protect the child and that is his function. He's also like a really great fighter. No hidden tricks in this guy. He, he can shoot, his head can swivel, his body can swivel, makes him a very good fighter. It's less of a cop-out character than R2-D2 is. And I think that's what I really like about these robots is when they do their function, do it well without a ton of surprises. Like, we saw how good of a fighter he was at the in the first episode when he just goes absolutely berserk on everyone. And then you kind of expect like, oh, maybe he's going to walk into lava and start just like swiveling, shooting everybody. No, he's just going to blow everybody up because at the beginning, we also learned he had to self-destruct. So it's different than with R2-D2 where you're like four episodes in and you're like, my dude can shoot flames? I, I like the way he uses his fighting stuff for being a good babysitter. Like he always stays in his prescribed like when he has him attached and then he swivels his body so like the child is on yeah. the other side and not in the gunfire you're so right and i forgot about that scene so thank you for bringing it up when he's holding baby yoda but swiveling around and then also shooting god that's so great um yeah yeah ig11's phenomenal there's also uh a little fun fact for everybody he He's the same, he's made of the droid that is used as essentially like the taps in the cantinas in these Star Wars worlds. So if you go into like Galaxy's Edge and you go to Ogus Cantina where they pour from the tap, his head is the spout of like that tap. And it's the oh. same thing in the cantina in the Star Wars movies. It's that, that's the head. And so even when Mando enters the cantina, in Mandalorian, you can see the heads in the background. Fun fact for everybody. I'm actually glad his design has a purpose because I literally was questioning, I was like, should I care about aesthetics? Because I find him very displeasing to the eye. And okay. I think his head looks like an ice cream cone. Yes, and it does. And his arms are too skinny for the rest of the like build. Like I just find him very, I was like, how was this the final draft? Like who said like, yup, go with that one. Um, yeah. So at least the head has a reason now. Something makes me think that because this droid was made to be like an assassin droid and you assume that they just produced a bunch of them, that they were making them on the cheap to then go out and do the job. And if they failed, it wasn't a huge loss. Is like how my brain is processing that design choice if I were in the Star Wars universe. This is the most uneducated mind speaking on that. So you can take it for how you want. 
Uh, Chris, I'm going IG-11 here. I love IG-11. I love how IG-11 serves his function. Uh, R2-D2 just has too many cop-outs. It's just too much of a, a MacGyver in this entire thing that just gets everybody out of trouble just because R2-D2 suddenly can. I don't think that in the in the realm of like storytelling robots, that's a fun robot to to like root for if if he can just do everything. So I'm moving IG11 on with the upset. Kyle, were you talking about uh, this is the way guy? I certainly was. I think you were trying to remember I have spoken guy, which is the other short quippy oh, phrase man. that they say in the mandalorian and that character's name is kuil dang yeah i'm gonna get lit up who is an ugnat male means zero things to me but well i'm glad y'all brought up uh the array of powers that r2d2 has he has a lot <laughs> because i totally forgot about that I want to keep trying to. I want to keep trying to remember some of these. He shoots a lightsaber to Luke in uh, Return of the Jedi. I want to say it was Episode Three, maybe two. He turned into a jetpack and started flying around. Yes. <laughs> yep, and like had fire shooting from his legs and like flew over all those droids to like light them on fire. I think that was the moment where I was like, "You've gone too far." <laughs> no, no. I think I think I'm done with Star Wars. <laughs> this is this is it. Uh, in in film, we call it Deus Ex Machina, which is like something happening that magically solves all of the problems, so the character doesn't have to do it. R two D two is like walking Deus Ex Machina, where he just can get anyone out of any situation, and you can't question it because he's an R two unit, and you have no idea what's going on inside of him. You're like, oh yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I guess I never really considered that R two D two might have a jet propulsion underneath his little legs that walk across the desert. Makes sense to me. Which would have been helpful, and pretty much any other time, but he only wanted to use it that time. It's a really slippery slope when you're talking about Star Wars because, you know, it's like, okay, so you're telling me it's okay to believe that you can have a lightsaber with two blades on it um, that cuts people in half, and but you don't believe that you can have jetpack droid? You're right, yeah. IG-11 has a lot of Baymax in him, you know? No, he doesn't. <laughs> Yeah, he does. He performs his sacrifice at the end because that is his programming. Uh, he's programmed to nurse and protect. That's that's what he says, and he goes out there and and he does it. Love that for him. I'm going. With, I'm I'm with Kyle. I'm going IG11 with the huge upset over R2D2. Dana, do you agree with this? I agree. IG11 is definitely the more enjoyable robot. Um, I also super love that he's voiced by Taco Watiti. Yes. Like, thank you for bringing that, that up. That was so pleasant to learn. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I agree he's the more enjoyable robot. I think what I struggle with was if you think best Disney robot, how many people are even going to be able to say IG-11? Sure. Um, so I feel like for known Narayat, like, you know, just like. He's R2-D2 is iconic, if you will. Yeah. Exactly. So for that sake, I kind of felt like he probably shouldn't have gone out in the first round, but I agree with everything you're saying. And I'm given that I'm not tied to star Wars. I'm, I'm pretty okay with it. 
All right, well, let's move on to a couple of other robots. We've got the number seven, Ben from Treasure Planet versus number 10, K2SO from Rogue One, a Star Wars story. The matchup of the comic reliefs. K2SO is the Star Wars Olaf. Y'all, this dude is a fish out of water who suddenly has awareness. And so he starts like making very strange comments about what's going on that the audience is supposed to laugh at because he's awkward. I think he's just commenting on the situation because everything he says is so accurate to what's happening. He's just delivering it so directly. No, he's not. I think he's delivering it comically. For example, when like the planet starts blowing up, he's like, there's a problem on the horizon. There is no horizon. It's like, oh, that was, okay, you have perfect comedic timing, Mr. Tudyk. Okay. <laughs> so so Emma's allowed to be good and not know what he's doing with his function. But when this person's function is to clearly narrate what's happening, but it just happens to be funny, that's not allowed. Like when he says, when he says, congratulations, you're being rescued, don't resist. Like... Is that not what's happening? Is he not rescuing someone who's resisting being rescued? His his comedic timing is just too good. It's just not believable. He's a master of like the, if he was going to tell like a not joke, K2SO would kill it. But robots can't perceive comedy, especially sarcasm. K2SO is the sarcastic dude. He's very sarcastic. Actually, that part, I did question that also. I was like, so someone programmed this robot to be sarcastic but then I was like, you know what? I buy that. If I knew how to program a robot, I would want them to be funny. See, that's the thing is like he was a protocol droid like C-3PO who was serving the Empire. And he was like reprogrammed by Diego Luna. I can't remember the character's name. Captain Fa- Captain Phasma? Captain Cassian? Cassian Andor? No, he was a strategic like planner or expert or something like that. He says that to Felicity Jones. He says something like, well, what do I know? I just was programmed to specialize in strategic planning. So to be clear, I didn't watch Rogue One. I literally just fast forwarded to every part he was in. So like, I just remember everything because it's the only part I watched. (laughs) He's up against Ben, who um, is also a robot. He's also a robot who um, doesn't have great social cues. Excellent transition. Uh, he also kind of doesn't serve a purpose and is also kind of just there for... He used to serve a purpose. Or, yeah, he was a bio-electrical navigator, something like that. I think that's what yeah, Ben he knows, stands for. He knows all the answers when he has his chip. Both of these characters are like sidekick type characters, which I think is really important for a robot. You know, you go back to to Vision. One of the things I really didn't like about him was was he kind of had that autonomy. Whereas robots kind of need to be told what to do. Um, So I think they are best served in a a sidekick role. And Ben and K2SO definitely both fill that. Kyle, I'm going to throw it to you. I want to see what you have to say about these guys. Oh, gosh. I hate when you do this. Okay. Let's start with the K2SO. You're right. Very sarcastic and very sassy. And I, it was hard for me to tell if it was because K2SO was just saying it how it is because robots can't perceive context. But if that's true, then K2SO is an awful robot in the Star Wars universe because many of their robots can 
conceive like context and you know navigate the universe like a c3po like an r2d2 where they have function but personality because of their kind of ai um but it's also likely that cassian didn't program him to be like that like you, you know it's it's hard because i i'm not you know marinated in the star wars universe knowledge in the canon there are a few uh you know i i do like an olaf character we've talked about it uh especially during our frozen 2 review i and so there's some moments in this film that i really enjoyed that made me chuckle one is when we all think that Jin shoots k2so when they're being kind of ambushed in that in that village and k2so comes from around the corner and is just like um did you know that wasn't me just like straight up and it's like of course not but k2so has questions because k2so is a robot can't read context and probably could have assumed that Jin was going to not be sad that k2so died another one is uh when k2so does the whole like there's a character that does this in a ton of movies where especially robots where a a human character will say something and then the robot character will like repeat it back and then blow the cover of the human character because the robot is just being a robot and that happens when uh they're repeating the plan of how to destroy the death star or at least they need to go get the plans to give to leia and uh, he says, one blast to the reactor module, and the whole system goes down. That's how you said it. The whole system goes down. And I really liked that part because it was, one, unnecessary. And I like when those things are kind of unnecessary when describing things. Like the Olaf breaking down Frozen 1 in Frozen 2. Unnecessary, but I liked it. Um. But it also kind of lends a hand of like, if K2SO can perceive that something was said with emotion or intention, then why can't K2SO understand context in other situations? It's just, at a, it's hard in Star Wars because nothing matters in Star Wars because people have lightsabers, as you brought up, and can jump and run fast when they want to and not when they don't it's ridiculous ben had a purpose ben knew where the treasure was but had his memory chip ripped out and that's the whole thing is if you've ever read treasure planet or i mean if you've ever read treasure island or have seen treasure island ben the robot is a character in those movies just obviously not a robot uh all the characters in treasure planet are characters in the book or film of treasure island just not the roles that they play um so ben you know i like when robots use their tech to come up clutch if we know that's what they can do uh ben's very eccentric it's no like mystery that he's this way because martin short is voicing ben who is a very eccentric actor um that's the whole like yelling that he's he's like uh saying that flint's insane but he's i'm not a therapist no okay 
hands down the best line from any of them. He goes, I'm not a therapist or anything, but I think he had mood swings, which are not a diagnosis. There's no like code <laughs> for mood swings. Like it's definitely just a symptom. So for him to like label a symptom that straight up anyone could observe and be like, I don't know, I'm not a therapist was like really, really funny. <laughs> I like that. Uh, Ben's character is a little screwy because he literally does have his like memory ripped out so he's going to be a little spastic in in the way that he acts and the way that he talks and the way that he tries to remember things he comes in kind of like semi-clutch when the treasure is being sucked into the middle of the planet because the planet's going to explode and he shows up on like the flying ship to to save Jim and Silver uh, and he also reveals like the whole thing he was holding that like the planet has like a self-destruct mode. And so he, he was really the key to know when the planet started opening up and they shoved the memory back into his head that like, this isn't, this is not only is this bad because the planet's opening up, but it's therefore going to self-destruct. We talked about sacrifice. Uh, doesn't happen in this movie happens in rogue one when K2SO is like trying to, ward off the stormtroopers and contact when doors are open for the rest of the people on the Death Star and they're running around and he's getting absolutely lit up as he's doing it. So we have a little bit of a sacrifice to fulfill function. But at the same time, I don't know what the functions of either of these are. Ben's function was to keep like to to navigate, did that and then didn't have that function anymore because his memory was ripped out. And so like I don't know if I had to do it. I'm going to do it like I did last time where Ben is just more of like the Disney focused character. I just like have to lean on that because I don't think that either of these characters are well defined enough to talk about function, which sucks for Ben in the next round if he moves on. But yeah, it's just going to have to be Ben for me. I I think. I, I'm coming down to the Disney argument as well. I, we have a really Star Wars heavy side of this bracket, very Wally heavy side on the other side. So I'm gonna I'm gonna send some Disney along to the next round here, and I'm gonna send Ben Dana thoughts on that. I think I had the opposite problem that I had for Baymax and Mo of like neither of these seemed very robot like. Yep. So I was also like, I don't like. Uh, uh. So yeah, no, I'm fine. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next matchup. It is number three, BB-8 from Star Wars versus number 14, Rex, from the Disney Parks, uh, Star Tours, and now in Oga's Cantina. Uh, Rex was the pilot of your Star Tours, like, tourist vehicle. Uh, So he was really just an amateur pilot that took you on and got trapped in in many different scenarios that you should not have been in, uh, barely escapes a lot of different issues uh but with the help of r2d2 and a lot of it uh who is on your star tours cruiser because there's nothing better to do in the galaxy at that time than to like (laughs) host tourists to show them around from planet to planet wasn't really tourists they're piloting like commuter vehicles commuter ships to get from planet to planet essentially like you would think work as you walk through the queue you learn that like this is a an airport of sorts and people are just going to planets either on vacation destinations or work trips or whatever. And so that's the scenario scenario you are in. Uh, 
I feel like in this ride, a lot of you not dying is because R2 just knows what to do. Uh, Rex is just screaming in the cockpit the entire time. <laughs> so sure, sure. So when uh, they took out Rex, they moved him into uh, the like, queue, essentially, <laughs> and put C-3PO as your pilot, which is almost worse. Why put like the two worst people to pilot these commuter vehicles the most anxious one and the one that's the newest uh but that's what's adventure without something going wrong and now rex is in Oga's cantina in galaxy's edge and rex is a dj and sure so he plays music good for him he's probably better matched there he wasn't a very good pilot he can't mess a whole lot up there uh except for playing the wrong song for the wrong moment, I guess, but haven't experienced that because I haven't experienced Galaxy's Edge. So if he does, uh, sure, but he's just a glorified jukebox over there. Up against BB-8, which also, like, I don't know what BB-8 does, guys. I watched all of the, the new saga. He rolls around. Feels like he's probably similar to an R2 character where he comes up clutch because suddenly he has these different tools. Uh... I literally couldn't point out a moment that was huge for me. He, I think he just has a lot of tools like R2 and like d serves his function in being clutch because he's, you know, he can be. Uh, fun fact to you is the, the noises BB-8 makes are like essentially directed by Ben Schwartz, who is Jean-Ralphio in Parks and Rec and unfortunately sonic in the new sonic movie yeah so that's just an interesting like i don't know why but he did it so i mean this is another one where it's like we're in the star wars universe bb8 has a lot of tools and rolls around and was one of those characters that was like really cute and they knew was gonna sell a lot of merch uh rex is a staple of the disney parks and kind of that nostalgia bias starts kicking in it's another one of the toss-ups for me, Chris, but I'm just going to go with Rex because I like Rex. Uh, I like his, you know, more relatability as a robot who's put into the wrong function, does his function, doesn't necessarily do it well, uh, but at least gets the job done. Don't really know what BB-8 supposed to be doing other than be like R2-D2. Didn't move on R2-D2. Not going to move on BB-8. BB-8 to me feels kind of like a combination maybe of R2 and C-3PO. R2 is very confident in his decision making and BB-8 is a little bit more skittish. He's kind of like um, maybe like a, a bunny rabbit or some type of like small animal who is very, very scared easily and wants to run away. But at the same time, BB-8 is loaded with this bag of tricks that seems to be completely bottomless it gets to the point where rise of skywalker he pilots an atst he like just rolls onto it and starts walking around a hangar and shooting stormtroopers <laughs> and like that's another <laughs> moment where you're like all right man like <laughs> what do you want from me yeah no but i actually thought he so I, i've seen very few of the newest ones but like I actually thought he was designed to be an upgraded R2-D2. Because again, like, I have no idea how true any of this is. I'm making it all up based purely off of aesthetics. But like, R2-D2 looks old. Like, I would believe this is a very old robot. And 
BB-8 looks very like shiny and new that I actually thought they were like, let's improve upon these like multi-purpose can do everything. If you got one with you, you're gonna always win kind of robots. And that's like what BB-8 supposed to be is like an upgrade. Like when you bring in your new iPhone for the next iPhone, like that's what I thought he was. <laughs> R2-D2 is an iPhone 5, <laughs> and BB-8 is an iPhone 12 Pro Max. Sure. Yeah, that's plausible to think that. And he's, like, on a ball instead of got the little, you know, treadmills he's on, so he could probably handle some more difficult terrain. Uh, I don't know about, like, rocks and stuff, but... No one in Star Wars thought about what the robots, like, like they just really were like, let's draw that. Sure, let's go. Like, K2 looks like a turtle with long legs like none of it makes sense as long as you can make it into a toy send it full send uh kyle i appreciate rex a lot i mean at one point i probably knew the entire rex spiel on star tours voiced by paul rubens aka peewee herman yeah yeah yep. and uh -huh. it's very very apparent uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, he has a very, very specific <laughs> function, and he is not good at all at it. But, you know, I don't love the save the day robot. I like the one that just doesn't have a whole lot of responsibility, like your Roomba. So <laughs> I'm advancing Rex. Dana, do we agree? <laughs> um, I also definitely have the nostalgia bias of like going on star tours as a kid so yeah no nah, i love him i was so excited for someone who i thought was lucky to make the dance like super super lucky i was like oh good job bud so yeah all right well then let's move on to our final matchup of the first round it's number six ultron versus number 11 carl from meet the robinsons ultron we kind of talked about him a little bit when we were talking about vision he was meant to be a peacekeeping android robot but he turned bad he he got evil he he turned heel and too smart for his own good yep he decided to to blow things up mm -hmm. instead carl is basically a butler or like a doorman of sorts for the robinson family and meet the robinsons um he's another robot that's just kind of there and uh, and this matchup, I'm kind of okay with that <laughs> because this is another situation where you have an, a robot who is like influencing way too much in the world and in the movie. I mean, I understand he's kind of like a robot gone haywire, maybe gone bad, maybe glitching a little bit. And that would make him a very bad robot if we're going by the criteria for what's a good robot and what's a bad robot. We've made the Marvel versus Disney versus Star Wars argument before. Uh, so that's also working against Ultron. Carl, I don't know for sure that Meet the Robinsons was Disney's first attempt at the new 3D animation, like where you put on glasses, but it kind of seems like that based on how Carl the robot moves around. Like his head is constantly just like whoa, yeah. flying towards the screen. So you're like... I close my eyes and I think of Carl and like his head's over here and his body's way back there. He's just constantly doing that. Yeah, so he, he felt very derivative of C-3PO. Um, and I, th I think it was like the same way of like they were trying out new stuff. So they were just trying to like take whatever base they already had to then be able to like try the new stuff. So they were like, well, we already have this robot design. 
So if we just make that 3D, let's go for it. Yeah, and it was 2007. So, uh, you know, that wasn't super far into even like computer animation for Disney at that point. Yeah, Carl doesn't influence the plot a whole lot. He's just kind of a robot that the other characters talk to and they just bounce information off of him and he kind of reacts to it as a scaredy cat sidekick robot might react. I mean, I don't love either of them. This whole bottom of the bracket is is not great, but I think I'm going to go with Carl here just because um, Ultron went haywire, totally going against his function. So advancing Carl. The issue with both Ultron and Vision for me is that they didn't feel super robot. They were very program-based robots where like you knew the program more than you knew the actual physical robot whereas like Baymax is similar in that very program-based with the swapping of the chips to change the personality but you also know like Baymax's functionalities and capabilities no matter what chip he has and so Ultron is feels just more like a virus to me right it's a program gone bad so I'm with you I'm gonna choose Carl I never seen meet the Robinsons until I had to watch it for this bracket I was expecting more Carl didn't get a whole lot of Carl uh I think we're all correct in that this was not Disney's finest moment in animation history but I think that they they were venturing into a fun storyline so I kind of wish that they held on to it until they mastered what they were trying to do with computer animation but Regardless, Carl moves on, which means we are done with our first round matchups. Starting off next episode, we are going to talk about some Elite Eight. Number one, Wally versus number nine, Eve. We've got the Battle of the Lovers right there. The next matchup will be number four, Baymax versus number 12, Bernie. Over to the other side, it's going to be number 15, IG11 versus number seven, Ben. And then in the final Elite Eight matchup, it's number 14, Rex, versus number 11, Carl. Dana, what are your thoughts about where we ended up here heading into the next episode? Um, I mean, so I guess I didn't know that you two were not Star Wars people either. So I was like kind of expecting <laughs> there to be a lot of like, and I was just like, well, I'm not going to know what that's going to be about, but that's fine. Um, so I guess I'm like mildly surprised, but I'm okay with it. I would not describe myself as a Star Wars person. I do watch all of the Star Warses, and I consider myself fairly knowledgeable about Star Wars, but I'm not a Star Wars defender at all. Yeah, it's going to be super interesting to uh, break down next time. But Dana, until then, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for writing in and getting yourself on the show. It's been great to have your knowledge and perspective in this first round. We look forward to seeing you back next time. Yeah, thank you so much. See you next week. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. You know how to reach us. If you got something to say about these robots, if you got a bracket idea of your own, or you want to hop on and co-host an episode for yourself, email us at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com, or you can hit us up on Twitter at mousemadnesspod. Of course, you can join us on Facebook as well, or join our Discord server, which is linked in the description of this podcast. We're talking Disney all day long on Discord. It's great fun. Until next time, ba la la la.